Hello and welcome to another episode of Digital Economy 101 podcast, in which we cover various topics from the world of digital economy. I'm your host, Dino Oreshki, and together with my guest, I provide an insight into economic activities based on digital technologies, which are crucial in every industry and indispensable in every business venture. Today's episode is titled Mad Men in Sustainable Economy, and my guest is Roy Brooks, the original Mad Men. Based in Kings Lynn in UK, Roy has been in digital marketing, digital economy and digital business for several decades. Starting in the early 80s in Johannesburg with TV advertising, then moving back to London working on all sorts of advertising activities. Now he's very active in the sustainable economy, as circular economy and sustainability strategies are getting more space and growing business cases for sustainable solutions are slowly becoming a necessity for many manufacturing companies. There are a lot of circular economy principles and strategies which you can apply to your business. The projected value of global sustainability assets in 2023, according to Bloomberg Intelligence, is 53 trillion US dollars. How can we mix the original madman and sustainable economy? What can a traditional marketeer teach us about sustainability? Listen to our episode as Roy has all the answers. Well, hello, Roy. Oh, and hello, Dino, apart from the weather. Yeah, cool. <laughs> apart from the weather. Oh. Lovely to have you here on the podcast. I, I'm, 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 I'm more than happy to be in the, in, the, in the virtual sunny space. There we go. That's the, that's, that's the one. So I've got some questions in front of me. And yeah. I'm being asked about marketing over the last 20, 30, 40 years. You do, of course, realize that this is uh, showing my age, don't you? But anyway, what the hell? Yeah, what it the is. hell? So, basically, right, you have seen it all. You have witnessed it all. Um, <laughs> how, how, how did your story start? Uh, I mean, is it is it too cheeky to call you the original madman? I'm the original idiot. I don't know about the original madman. I, th- I think I started off as a fool and now I'm a bit of a madman. Um, it, it, look, how did I get into advertising? It was it was not intentional. Um, I started off in television, and when I came to the UK back in the early eighties, uh, trying to work in television was not easy, um, and I kind of fell into advertising. I had a very brief stint at uh, an agency in Johannesburg just after I left university and decided then I would never be in advertising. Um, I then spent the next 35 years in advertising. So, you know, probably probably not the best thing. But have I seen it all change? Yeah, absolutely it's changed. Of course it's changed. And, I mean, I started in the industry just as it was coming out of the madman years. Um, and agencies were having to come to terms with a... A changing environment. I mean, look, the UK before I just before I got into it. So I'm talking now about the early 80s. Was like it was the heyday of the great UK uh, creative-led advertising. Um, it was, if anybody's anybody listening is is old enough to remember, it was the great days of the Benson and Hedges campaigns. You know, the the, the really sort of Lots and lots of money spent on creative, lots and lots of lunches, all of those things. Yeah. Um, For me, it was somewhat different because I got into very early on, I got into marketing tech. Uh, In fact, that's basically how I built my agencies was around technology and marketing technology. Uh, 
primarily B2B in the early days because you were really talking to people. I mean, this was this was when spreadsheets were a new thing. So you were having to tell people what a spreadsheet was in order for them to buy it. I mean, you know, it's, it's hard to believe in this day and age, but that's what it was like. Um, you know, we didn't have computers on our desks when I started. We had a we probably had a few Macs somewhere. Uh, you know, that were being looked after, you know, like like they were, you know, like they were sort of uh, gold. Um, and that was about it. Everything was done paper, lots of faxes. Um, it was much easier. It was much more chilled. It was much more, it was much less pressured. Um, you spent a lot more time with your clients. You had a chance to learn about their children and <laughs> all of these things, as opposed to just answering emails. Um, and you thought about things a lot more. I think that was the other thing. Nothing happened instantly. You know, if you think about it, if you wanted to produce a paper ad, it could take days, sometimes weeks. You, you know, you had to find a photographer, you had to find a writer, you had to find, you know, even getting the films and things made to, to print and publish. I mean, for a brief period, we did quite a lot of work in, in computer recruitment. And the magazine we worked on then would publish publish once a week on a Thursday. And, you know, you would take three days preparation. Now you whack it up on a website instantly. So oh, I'm looking for somebody. So, so the move from just analog to digital production was a fundamental shift. Then alongside of that, you, of course, had the change in client management because you moved from phone calls and faxes and whatever into emails. And inevitably, what was going to happen was that though the underlying digital channel that all this was enabling was ultimately going to come together around the space we know today, plus the metrics, plus all those things that we take for granted, all those metadatas that are now part. You know, if we wanted to get a response or we wanted to measure our response to an ad, you had a coupon. You know, somebody had to clip out the coupon or maybe you had a you had a phone number, you know, you had a callback number. That was how we did it. I don't think it changed. I don't think it's changed the response rates very much. But, you know, tell me otherwise, you know, you'll say, I don't know, it's fundamentally changed things. But I don't know. So there was that. I mean, that's a yeah. I mean, there are just so many changes. And I think at the root of it, the industry and its approach has fundamentally changed as a consequence. Um, and I think if you talk to anybody in the creative space, that would be the first thing. Anybody who straddled that period, that's the first thing they'll tell you. Um, and now we've got, you know, if you if you want a nice picture of a sunny, you know, of a, of a sunny Dubrovnik beach, you just ask, a, you know, just ask ChatGPT, hey, make me, you know, make me an image. Oh, I don't like the sun. I wanted a little bit brighter or a little bit darker you don't have to find a guy to take a picture you don't have to you know any of these things so yeah all of this stuff changed anyway i'm rambling on <laughs> that's, that's uh, me. Uh, great great stuff and uh, what are you up to these days uh, what am i up to these days king glenn and you're doing uh, a lot of cool things uh, remotely well, I'm doing a lot of things that somebody else should be doing. Um, what am I doing remotely? Now, actually, in truth, uh, I it, it kind of just follows on, frankly, from from you know from from where I started an ad because one of my clients back in the day was CompuServe, and again, if those old enough to remember, CompuServe was the the pre was essentially the, the precursor for the web. I mean, that was. And some of the functionality that we now take for granted was part of the CompuServe uh, offering. 
which involved a lot of remote relationships. It was people working uh, and sharing online. Again, before, you know, before we had web browsers, but it was essentially the same thing. So I've actually been working, and most of my clients were US-based, so I've been working from behind glass now for, wow, 20 odd years. Um, easily. I mean, it's quite funny because during COVID, when everybody was having a panic about having to work from home, for me, for me, that's been pretty normal. Uh, that's that's been the way. You know, working behind glass is a fairly normal thing. So, in that respect, no big change. Um, however, in terms of what I'm actually doing with my days, uh, a, a very significant change. So, I'm now working on something completely outside of the, the marketing space which is developing a database around sustainable materials uh, for use by industry uh, on the very simple basis that if you want to use alternative materials, so sustainable materials, bioplastics, whatever, there is no supply chain. There is no structured supply chain um, equivalent to the one that exists for what I would call legacy materials. So. Uh, you know, your plastics and your aluminium and all the rest of it. And if you want to be able to work with new materials, they have some new properties uh, which you need to be able to access. So that's what I'm currently working on is building a database of those materials. Um, but of course, alongside of that, with increased regulation and the move to circularity and the move to renewables and recycling and so on and so forth, there is now an emergent class of metadata. Uh, and again, those uh, apply to all materials, not just, uh, you know, not, not just uh, renewables. And there is an opportunity there and a need for uh, a considerable amount of data to be made available, to be discovered, to be managed, and so on and so forth. So that's really what the latest project is about. Um, and I suspect that's going to see me through the rest of my days if, if the way things are going at the moment, <laughs> anything to go by. Um, to put it, you know, to put it in very simple terms, uh, when we started the project, we assumed that some very clever people would have come up with a taxonomy, a list of sustainable materials. And we thought, oh, that would be easy. We just build a database on top of that and it would be done. Not a bit of it. So I'm now learning to be a material scientist. Very poor one, admittedly. But yeah, that's um, so actually just building a list of materials uh, is, is more of a challenge than I thought it would be. Anyway, uh, yeah, we could go into much more detail on this. But I think the common thread in all of these things is that data enables. So whether I'm talking about the shift that happened in advertising through the 80s, 90s and onwards, uh, into uh, you know the, the world of new materials uh, and innovations in the material space. At the root of it is data, and then if you look at things like circularity, circular economies, again, what's at the heart of that? It's the ability to share data, to shift data, to work from analytics, and these things all really come together. Uh, so, yeah, it's it's all about the data, man. It's all about the data. There we go. Yeah, let, let us dive deep uh, in, into that. Uh, can you tell us a bit more about your project? Uh, well, the project with, in which you, have, you are involved, uh, the circular, and how can we all benefit? And also, where, where okay. can we find more details? <laughs> right, at the moment, you won't be finding many more details because <laughs> we're still building it. <laughs> but, 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 yeah, look, okay, I mean, again, uh, you know, the, the boilerplate is very straightforward. If if you want to make a thousand flower pots uh, out of plastic, 
it's no problem. You can find a supplier, you can find the engineering data that you need to make those, you can find somebody to produce using a well-established material and so on and so forth. But if you say, no, actually, I want to make a thousand flower pots out of a biodegradable material, um, and I want to use a, a biodegradable material that's local to me, that's produced in my local region that doesn't have to come in a container from halfway around the world, um, and so on and so forth. You need a very, very different set of criteria, or at least you need a very different set of data, data points. Then if you add on to the fact that the that material is now going to be tracked, it's going to be tracked, it's going to be traced, you're going to have to account for it. So whether you're accounting for it in your, in your initial design, so the data needs to be available for your initial design, or whether you're going to account for it in your accounting package, which says how much is my material going to cost me. If you're then going to have to account for it to your investors as part of your ESG, um, all of this requires data, and it requires data of very particular kinds, and that's really what we're about enabling. So Circular's approach is to build a, essentially, as I mentioned at the top of the conversation, to build a taxonomy of sustainable materials. And the first thing we're working on is the uh, engineering data. So if you're designing and you're using AutoCAD or similar, you need metrics for that material. Um, you're also going to need parts of its uh, LCA, you're going, to need, you're going to need to know how much water is used in its production, you're going to need how much carbon its production emits, you're going to need to know how much carbon is going to be uh, released in its production with whatever it is you're looking to do. So all of these things require metrics, they require data at your fingertips. So our first thing is to identify the materials that are emerging, that are being produced, manufactured in universities and where, where, so, where, where else and then get the engineering metrics. And then once we have the engineering metrics in place, make those uh, metrics uh, available in such a way that they can be used by a machine, um, not just a person. You're not just downloading a PDF, but you can actually import those metrics onto your machine, be it your design. Ultimately, we would like to be in a position to be able to import those directly onto the production machine. So, um, and including aspects of that like material licensing. Can you in fact use this material? Have you paid your license to use this? How long? All of these issues. And then the next phase of that is to start addressing all these other metadata. So things like your life cycle analysis data. Um, things like your carbon reporting data, things like your sustainability data, things like your social responsibility data, all of these things that are increasingly part of the material, uh, the material universe. Now, of course, we're not going to do all that by ourselves. So where Circular is approaching it, we're looking at specifically at the database, the materials database, and then that becomes the center of an ecosystem of partnerships. So Anybody else working in the space, particularly people at the moment with life cycle analysis data, we're working with them to make their data available through us and for us to make our data available through them because the root of all of this emerging, really emerging new industry is, uh, is essentially being collegiate. It's actually being collaborative because we aren't going to do it by ourselves. The old, you know, you sit within a silo, you, you know, you protect your IP, you don't share anything. There is no way we're going to tackle the challenges we're facing if you approach it in that way. So that's, yeah, I mean, that's really what Circular is about. It's a very big project conceptually, but we're concentrating on something which 
it's pretty nuts and bolts, um, but it's absolutely fundamental to uh, you know being able to use these materials. Um, and we hope we'll have something available <laughs> within within this within this decade. <laughs> no, I, I joke, but but it it is a, it is it is a it's like a, it's an emergent industry. And funny enough, it's very, very similar to the computer business of the 1980s. It was before you had integrators. It's before you had people who pulled things together around a particular point. You had to find software. You had to find hardware. You had to bring it all together yourself if you wanted to do something using a computer. This industry is pretty much the same at this point in time. But it's changing rapidly. And the other thing that's fantastic about it is there's a whole new generation of really excited people in this space, you know, we know we're going to have to change how we use materials. Uh, and that's a real challenge, but there's some fantastic people um, working on that, you know, at every level from data right the way through to material development, through to pulling together relationships between people working in this space. It's it's huge fun. It's great fun. I would strongly urge anybody who's looking for a fun way to spend their days get into circularity, get into materials. <laughs> Never a dull moment, as they say. So yeah, anyway, there we go. That's me all right. And, and well, I mean, my next question. So ju just, out, just out of interest, uh, yeah. Roy, um, uh, how does it all work with uh, all of the data privacy regulations which we are facing in, in modern economy and modern world? Well, well this, is, this is going to be one of the issues. Uh, I mean, you know, you have to, yes, apart from personal privacy, and bear in mind, we're not essentially talking about personal information. We're, we're talking about product information, if you want to call it that. And historically, you know, you needed the product information to be able to use the material. I mean, whether you're using an aluminium or a bioplastic, it doesn't make any difference. If you want to design with it, you have to have the data. So you're not talking about, you know, you're not, you're not that's not a challenge. Of course, related to that is whether you are whether you're paying for the data, right? And historically, you've bought the material and you probably got, you know, you your your engineer would have had a conversation with the engineering guys if you needed to. But frankly, after you know, after so many years of these materials, you don't need to. The information is readily available. Um, where it gets a bit more complex is where you start getting into material intellectual property, so IP. So bearing in mind that these materials are often being developed, um, they're novel materials or the or the formulation is novel. And particularly with bio-based materials, these things change from season to season, from plant type to plant type. You know, you're talking about a biological material here, not something you dig out of the earth. So there are aspects of that. And of course, people, I mean, we use a short, we call them recipes, but essentially you're talking about the formulae. So, there is intellectual property in that. And then the question is, all right, you know, do you as a producer want to valorize that? Do you want to make money out of that intellectual property or do you want to make it available and then make the money out of volume sales or whatever? It depends on your business model. So, yes, you absolutely have to have a system which enables it to be one or the other or many possible. You may want to license a part of your IP and you may want to make part of your IP uh, you know, open. So, so there's that. It, look, it's it's like all of these things. There's no there's no one single answer to this. It's very much on a case to case basis. And I think over time, what will happen is an industry norm will emerge again. I think it's far too early. And 
And quite frankly, a lot of people working in the space are not even thinking about these issues. I mean, yes, they'll think about GDPR at a personal level, or if you know if they have a database of people that you know they have clients and all, all the usual things. But in from a material standpoint, um, that's not a challenge. When you start getting into things like uh, ESG reporting and so on, again, similar things. But we're not working on that. We're almost we're just sitting on top of what emerges in the industry. Um, so, yeah, I mean, our focus is really materials, and I don't think it's a significant issue except for the materials licensing. Uh, okay, cool. Very, oh. very, very, very interesting. Um, and uh, coming back to the topic, where, where do you see the digital economy is heading? Um, is the future bright? I think the future is astonishingly bright. I really do. I mean, I think, I think we're just scraping, you know, again, I, I, I saw what digits did to marketing, uh, and again, you know, I, I won't, I won't sort of go go on and on and on about it. it fundamentally changed the industry. Um, what I'm working on now is a is an emerging industry. We haven't even begun to start. I mean, you know, on a daily basis, I am being introduced to massive challenges in data in this space, but also massive opportunities. And if you think of the thing about digits, digits accelerate and amplify. And I really think we, we're at the bottom of the hockey stick. You know, if you try, I mean, even, even trying to, for example, just think about, you know, just importing an Excel spreadsheet. You'll have fun and games. I mean, how often, how often does that import cleanly? And you think of the data that is now being produced, it from, you know, from satellites, from drones, from... There's just so much out there, and we haven't even begun to bring that together. And when we start bringing it together, the power, take something like Google Maps. You know, I mean, I, for much of my day, I have Google Maps open next to me because there is so much to discover. I don't know how many years Google Maps has been around, but if you think of the things that have changed just as a consequence of having that, and then we're talking, you know, Dino and I, we're now talking from behind glass. And again, we were joking at the top of this. You know, once upon a time, we, we, you know, we had to send a carrier pigeon. You know, it was like we couldn't have this conversation. And now we can. And, you know, last week I was having this kind of very personal conversation with uh, somebody uh, from the World Bank in Dubai. And a couple of days before that, I was having the same sort of conversation with somebody in Russia. And, you know, it, so, so even at that simple level, just communication that's fundamentally changing but i really think it's only just begun and when you th when you start pulling in the metrics from the billions of phones um you know one of the things we're looking at for example is if you are a farmer in a place which does not have a fixed infrastructure you do everything on your phone now a farmer with a phone can easily have an app which just says to somebody up the road um hey i've got 40 tons of waste material which you can turn into a bioplastic you know, that's, that's perfectly possible. And that information can have been gleaned by a drone, which could have been assessing the soil moisture or the crops, the state of the crop. Or, there's just so many facets to this. I think it's, uh, we've, we haven't even scratched the surface yet. So shortly, yes, the future's beyond bright. It's bloody brilliant. You know, it's blindingly bright. There is one challenge though. And I think this is something that we see in the UK, or at least what we see in the UK I've experienced is 
This country is very good when it comes to bashing metal. You know, everybody will have heard of Isambard Kingdom Brunel and, you know, uh, Sheffield Steel and all that sort of thing. We're great when it comes to materials, physical materials. We're not so good when it comes to data. We don't see data as a material. We don't see data as something you can build with. Uh, that's a very interesting distinction, is, is I think understanding that data is a plastic material. Um, it's not something distinct from materials. And I find that once people have got over that, and suddenly the opportunity expands. Um, but yeah, anyway, there's a bit of an aside, but I think that's a, it is an issue. So yes, um, where are we We are now? discussing the, the opportunities, Roy. Um, <laughs> do you have any, any practical advice for, for someone who is in their 20s or 30s, you know, fresh <laughs> out of school, bunch of uh, pretty cool ideas? <laughs> well, okay, I, this is one of those challenge, really challenging things because um, as you probably gathered, I'm not a spring chicken. Um, and my first response was, God, that's a difficult one. And inevitably the old saw is read, right? Doesn't matter how old you are, just read as much as you can. And then I thought, yeah, but everybody says that. Then the next thing I thought was, well, um, you know, listen to older people. They can give you lots of advice. And then I thought in the same breath, yeah, they can also tell you a lot of rubbish. So <laughs> my response is, listen to older people and don't listen to older people at the same time. Um, yeah, I, you know, I honestly, I can't offer any real, real words of wisdom. Um, I think, yeah, I, it's, it's, my wisdom is I can't offer words of wisdom. I think that's, if, if there is wisdom. But I will say that things that matter the most are people. And if there is one thing that comes out of this, in my experience, as this conversation is, it's invest in people. Invest in people, invest in your relationships. Um, they'll just be nice. Uh, and yeah, life will be pretty good to you. May not seem like it at the time, but <laughs> it probably will be. Anyway, yeah, I mean, all a bit trite, but, um, but that's, Okay, and I'll we do doing. have a bonus question, Roy, because um, Karen oh. just pinged me on, yeah. on Instagram. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, uh, alive. Uh, she sends her love, and uh, oh, Karen, cool. Karen is doing a lot of great things when it comes to digital art uh, oh, yes. and, and ocular illusions, delusions, lightning, and, and everything. <laughs> um, how does that fit into the world of digital economy? Wow. Now, that's that's a challenge. Hmm. Oh gosh, no, that 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 that, that is a really <laughs> challenging one. I mean, look, we've had the, you know, we've had the we've had the whole kind of NFT thing. Mm -hmm. Do you know, I think again it goes okay, just yeah, it's a really one. I think it goes back to I, I started I started my career as a sculptor. I, I did a fine art degree and I started as a bronze caster. So very much hands-on materials, making things with your hands. And I think mm -hmm. this. I think I think where does art and digits come together? I think it's the same thing. It's recognizing, as I said just now, that digits are a plastic medium. They're a material, right? And if you see, uh, you can mold and make with data. 
Now, whether you're making something visual or whether you're making a relationship, because if you think about art, art isn't, I mean, most, most of us immediately think of art as the thing you see, because, you know, we have a history of, of pictures and images and, and, and you know, even, even things like sculptures, which you touch, but you experience them as images. But what are you left with after that? You're left with the thought, right? You're left with the, the, yeah. you're left with the thing that that image or that object made you think about. And I think data can do exactly the same thing. So it's, that's, that for me is where the relationship, think of, I think of it as a plastic material, frankly. Um, and you can mold it, you can manipulate it, you can make it, um, make people feel good, bad, clever, indifferent, whatever. And that's, that's kind of art. I mean, that's what art's about, isn't it? It's about engendering emotion. It's about engendering thought. So same thing, really. It's just that you do it from behind a screen uh, as opposed to in a studio with a bit of clay. So, yeah. Cool. So how are we doing? A full circle, right? <laughs> Not intentionally. <laughs> Maybe I've well, had too much practice at this. <laughs> well, we, we are doing great. Karen just invited herself to be a guest on the podcast, which is also great. And well, that will be cool because she and I haven't seen one another for a considerable time. Um, so it'd be nice to listen to her. She keeps saying, come and see me. And I haven't been to town for about two years. So. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> you live behind the glass. Roy. Yeah, I live behind the glass. Thank you so glass. much. Hey, Dina, thank you for reaching out, man. Hell, it's, uh, oh, I miss you guys. <laughs> <laughs> okay. How are we doing on time? We are right on time. And thanks again. And bye. Oh, cheers. <laughs> and many thanks to all of you listening to this episode. I hope you find it useful. Keep following the ACAS channel Digital Economy 101 because we have a new episode coming soon.